This is Cody, and you're listening to Cantus Firmus. I have with me today Scott Johnson, Benjamin Hiley, and Emmanuel Castillo. Scott is the pastor at Cross Point Church of Christ in Franklin, Ohio. He got his bachelor's degree in biblical texts from Ohio Valley University. He lives in Middletown, Ohio, with his beautiful wife and two amazing kids. Now, that's a bio that he wrote. Um, I, I'm not disagreeing that his wife is beautiful, but nor would I make that comment on my own because it feels a little bit inappropriate. <laughs> uh, Benjamin received uh, both his bachelor's in uh, biblical theological studies and his master's in ministry from God's Bible School and College in Cincinnati, Ohio, and is currently finishing a master's in clinical and mental health counseling at Xavier University, also in Cincinnati. Uh, Manuel Castillo is currently at St. Peter's and Paul Catholic Seminary, Nigeria, preparing to be a Catholic priest. So up until recently, it seemed like uh, a major question that, that I saw being discussed in the church, uh, particularly in evangelical churches, was this issue of whether church was losing relevance um, in light of sermons on podcasts from orators that usually best the efforts of our local pastors, uh, Scott obviously excluded, uh, praise music on Christian radio, and also this kind of virtual Christian fellowship uh, that can be had online. It seems like people were wondering whether church meetings were still relevant. And the numbers seem to be suggesting that people often, you know, filing out of churches. And so at the time though, the, the solution that seemed to be proposed, um, the, the one that I read a lot anyway, um, was that churches should find ways to make themselves irrelevancy proof by finding ways to be more incarnational, more embodied, uh, to do the things that can't be done online. So, while you can listen to a sermon online, for example, you can't gather in person to take the Lord's Supper or participate in each other's lives or even volunteer together to help your community. So the argument was being made that maybe some of these things that we think of as essential to doing church uh, may be secondary. Maybe we should emphasize these other things that can't be replicated um, in a virtual world. And uh, of course, uh, something has changed in that discussion recently. Uh, and that is that the coronavirus is going around. It spreads pretty wildly and as of yet has no vaccine. And it's already taken quite a few lives, unfortunately. So as a result, churches are really having to lean into this virtual thing. Um, the question is, can the church be the church if there's no incarnational element to it? And I suspect that many of us would agree, uh, have the same basic perspective, but maybe with some nuance. Uh, but maybe we'll go through the list uh, We'll go in order of uh, who jumped on. Uh, Scott, I'd be interested in hearing your perspective as a pastor first. Okay. So the this virtual idea was something um, that I had, I, I, I've seen as a trend for a long time, like you had alluded to, trying to gain irrelevancy proof, I guess, um, the church. Um, and so um, – I um I won't won't say I was opposed to it, but I certainly wasn't looking into it. Um, but then this virus came, and it was just like lightning how fast we had to adapt to this. Uh, you know, I come from a fellowship where we take the Lord's Supper every Sunday, where we love to sing, we love to preach, and no, not really any different, I guess, than any other congregation. But um, now going to where we're unable to connect with a percentage of our members who are not technologically 
affluent uh, or savvy um, to only connecting with a certain amount has definitely posed a great challenge to us. Um, and so can the church be the church without meeting together? Absolutely. I think um, in this time, we, we, we decided as a leadership team that we were going to protect our most vulnerable people because in any church, the people that are going to be there are the older people. They're going to be there no matter what. Um, and it's not to say the younger people won't, but they're, what I mean by that is they're less likely to, uh, the older folks are less likely to miss services. And they're also the most vulnerable in this pandemic. And so we voted early on to protect our people and we've been shut down. This is going on week four now um, that we have done this. And so um, this has been a quite an adjustment and, I will say that I feel something empty um, from this virtual world, if that makes sense. I don't feel uh, the connection with my brothers and sisters that I did, but I understand why, if that makes sense. I don't know if that answers your question or not, but that's yeah, I did. perspective. Yeah, and sort of secondary, but maybe a little bit off topic, um, you're talking about preparing, you know, not really being able to prepare for this. Um, you had, I think I'd asked you at one point um, if your church had set up anything to be able to take like offerings online. I think you hadn't really had anything like that before. No. There was some concern about whether or not you could really stay open um, in light of that issue, right? Because you didn't have any income coming in, but you had a building to maintain, right? Right. Right. And so luckily we had a guy set up a PayPal and that's been helping us out tremendously. Um, and we're working on a program called Easy Tithe. Um, that's an app um, to get that started. So the, the contributions are once again coming in at a level that keeps things going. But man, that was, it was a scary time because, you know, I was like, am I, and it's selfish, but also I work for the church. So I'm like, am I going to get a paycheck? You know, I have a family of, of, you know, of four. And so we didn't have any of these digital uh, safety nets in place, but we, we have adapted them very quickly now. Yeah, sure. It makes sense. Um, now, is, is um, are there certain things that, so I know a lot of churches have kind of stepped up and are doing different things either for their members who may, may need some help or for people outside of the community, other things that, that your church in particular is, is trying to, has changed as far as kind of mobilizing for various needs that have come up. So this has been, again, this is where this has been difficult, but one of the things we've done uh, because we have a building that's right next to the areas to, you know, hospitals um, is we have been in contact at the request of the health department to make our, if needed, our church building into emergency field hospital. Um, which would be run by the National Guard, um, different things like that. We're already a Red Cross disaster shelter and different things like that. So, um, you know, it's just one of those things where um, we're on call for that if need be. I pray that it doesn't get to be that bad to where the hospitals are overflowing. Um, but we're also just encouraging our people to do good and to stay safe and to uh, obey the the orders of the the authorities so that they can be safe and we can all get through this together and come back together again soon. Um, we've got some members who are helping with passing out food to school kids. You know, we've got different things like that going on, but um, you know, as far as mobilizing, it's, it's, that's been one of my biggest challenges as a pastor and um, trying to get people to move into this separate, but 
active incarnational role. <laughs> so we're trying to offer up our physical property that we have um, and just trying to individually do what we can. Yeah. Well, this is kind of one of the, those weird moments where doing nothing um, is actually one of the one of the best ways to help, right? So this is so for the people, someone who's lazy who would like to be able to help people. This is the, the great time for them to be able to pat themselves in the back. Amen. <laughs> All right. So Ben, uh, Ben, you know, you come at this not as a pastor, but but with theological background and also with this concern, this you know, background in counseling. So you're kind of attuned to people's needs and where maybe the needs, I don't know, where we might struggle, our need for social relationships and community and stuff like that. So I wonder um, how you might look at this question of, about what the church is and whether or not we can do it virtually. I think we can. Our church has definitely made moves to do that, but uh, we're not reaching everybody. Some of our elderly still haven't managed to uh, learn to use the technology that would allow us to connect. So I know we're not reaching everyone. We did make an effort a couple of weeks ago to uh, the pastor actually drove around and delivered the elements for communion to everyone that wanted them and so that we could participate online in communion. And that's, that's a great way to connect because, you know, communion doesn't just connect us uh, in the moment. It connects us with all Christians throughout time in Christ. Amen. And uh, so that's a powerful thing to be able to continue to do even in, in our homes as we do online services. But like I said, I know we're not reaching everybody. Uh, some of our eldest members are north of 90 years old and just aren't going to learn how to get online. And uh, we actually already have Easy Tide set up, but I don't know how many people, again, are even capable of, of using it. So I know we are hurting uh, financially to keep the lights on and that kind of thing. From a mental health perspective, um, even so, so I'm still doing classes on Zoom with Xavier. So even a lot of my classmates are talking about how they're noticing their mental health being affected. Um, they linger in bed a little longer, uh, don't quite have the drive to get up. Uh, I can only imagine this worse for elderly who, you know, church is the highlight of their week, uh, getting to go interact with their brothers and sisters. So, so certainly it's, it's a, it's a downer, but, um, but I think we can stay connected at least for a time, this electronic way to connect will tide us over, I hope. Um, but I don't know that it's, it's not going to, it's not the real thing. I don't think, I don't think it can be the real thing. And, you know, uh, Scott, you mentioned earlier that you wouldn't say you were opposed to it, but you weren't looking into the uh, uh, virtual or, or whatever uh, way to connect. I've always kind of been leery of it too, because I always grew up with kind of a negative view of televangelists. I mean, it would seem like every week you were seeing one get popped for tax evasion or, you know, whatever. And then of course you look at how they live and they live like kings. And it seems very clear that what they're doing is uh, not necessarily others focused as much as it's them focused and so I I kind of I don't like that as a main genre of connecting and of course you know it's a little different when you have to do it but um but yeah I, I I'm not a fan and that's probably the biggest reason why so it seems that if I could summarize your answer using philosophical jargon uh, virtual church uh, meets the necessary conditions for church but not the sufficient conditions for church <laughs> yeah yeah I think yeah, and I, yeah, and so we could get a little more theological about it and, and talk about scriptures. I don't think that I don't think the Bible teaches Christians to just not have any concerns about the physical world. You know, we are told to work and um, do some practical things, and so I think 
the people who are like just entirely spiritualizing mm-hmm. uh, this pandemic and saying we're going to meet and you know consequences be darned or whatever I, I think they're i don't think that's an entirely b- biblical view i think we are supposed to consider um the consequences of our actions i think people do get to make choices that matter choices that have consequences i think we do have the free will to do that god gives us that ability and so i don't think it's a matter of like well we're going to meet no matter what it's like well you are actually making a choice that could kill somebody and we need to be aware of that and act appropriately yeah and you know i was going to say and almost all so three four three out of four of us here are in roughly the same areas around Cincinnati or Dayton, Ohio. So in our backyard, um, there is a church, um, <laughs> uh, kind of a, sort of a famous church because of their, uh, uh, they famously spent a lot of money on a statue um, that was called Touchdown Jesus. He's got the arms up in the air, and uh, which was then famously struck by lightning. But they have um, stayed open throughout this process, and they haven't given much of a theological justification. They released a statement um, saying, this is pretty odd. I think you mentioned this, Ben, on, on Facebook, how odd this was. As Christians were charged by Jesus Christ to obey the laws of our land, therefore, if the laws of our nation should ever change with respect to our First Amendment right to assemble, thereby restricting us from having our church doors open, we will willingly comply. So what, what they were saying was, we're not going to close out of concern for people's health, but we would be more than happy uh, to allow the state to tell us that we're not allowed to worship God. <laughs> Um, but they went on to say, if there's ever been a time in the history of our world when we all need God's help, it's now for that reason we believe that the doors of Solid Rock Church, that's the name of the church, should remain open. It is in these times of crisis that the church should play a critical role as a place of refuge, a place where anyone can come to pray, to worship, and to find healing and hope. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of debate about exactly why they would make this decision, um, uh, some some have suggested that it's a money decision, although it seems to me that a church, which is a decently sized church with a lot of parishioners, uh, if they wanted to uh, not have services and, and take money in online, they could certainly do that. Um, that statement doesn't give me a lot to work from, but my suspicion is maybe there may be a theological underpinning because they, they're more of a charismatic church that maybe they feel that God will bless their efforts to come together and they won't have to worry about consequences the natural consequences of what's going on because there may be some supernatural intervention um which you know i i believe in miracles i just don't expect one every day um <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, I, I, anyway so th- th- that's kind of a complicated uh, I, well i think they had that backward I, I think that's what i said in that book you referred to is yeah. you know if the government's going to require or require you to disobey god then you disobey the government And so if the government took away our First Amendment rights to gather and said churches can't gather, then I'll be among those who disobey that order and gather um, as long as there's not a pandemic on. (laughs) So in this case, what what the government recommends happens to agree with what I think is the Christian thing to do. But but they seem to indicate that they would submit to the authority of government in violation of what God says to do. And that doesn't make any sense to me. Perhaps I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt they worded that incorrectly. Perhaps they meant that under the current pandemic situation, they would cease to meet if the government ordered it rather than suggested it. But it does seem to be backward that they would obey the government on that, but continue to meet in the midst of a pandemic where people can really, you know, spread disease, get sick and die. You got it. Yep. All right. Uh, Emmanuel, you've been waiting patiently. And I think 
you're still there, hopefully. I know you've had some connection issues, so hopefully we can get you in here without any problems. Uh, but I would like to hear, I mean, so, the, you know, you're, you're studying to be a Catholic priest, and the Catholic Church has actually had a very interesting response to this, because it seems to me that um, more than many other churches, um, Catholics are very incarnationally oriented. They're very much, you know, very, you know, they, they don't really, they kind of like doing things the traditional way that it's always been done. You know, we're not really, you know, they don't necessarily move into these uh, new ways of doing church that evangelicals are so interested in. And yet it seems that the Catholic church has been very open to making some changes here for concerns about health. Um, they have been, for example, willing to say, um, you know, if you have a confession to, to make, don't go and make it to a priest, but make it directly to Jesus, which, uh, you know, of course, Protestants have been saying that for about 500 years, but um, <laughs> so that's one thing uh, they've been, um, you know, willing to not ask services. Sorry, go on. I said that's correct. You're right. Yeah. And, and, and I think also just, I mean, willing to not have services, which, um, you know, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, for, for a Catholic, if, if, you know, mass is very important. I mean, so important that um, my understanding is that if you miss, if you don't attend mass over the course of a year, um, th that compromises your standing as a Catholic. Um, so I think to, to, to cancel mass is, is a pretty big deal. Um, so obviously they're taking this very seriously. Um, and so I, I wonder, you know, yeah, you being a Catholic um, and, and not just being a Catholic, but also studying to be a Catholic priest, um, how you might look at this from from that perspective and from that tradition? Yeah, as I said, it's the the Holy Mass. It's it's one of high reputation in the Catholic faith, and and you're required you're required at least once a week to attend a mass, and and the mass is is seen in the light of um, in the light of acts of apostles when the apostles will come together for fellowshipping. The form of, of fellowshipping in a Catholic Catholic parlance now. So so, but what we have right now due to the pandemic that is ravaging a lot of people now that the church decided to lift that obligation of, of regular mass attendance or daily mass attendance is because the church is 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 cooperating with the government and in a large way trying to help and support the system to curtail this pandemic. The church could have obviously, you know, still allowed services or masses to go on, but the church is looking at the, 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 the consequences this was to curtail this pandemic. And this is really, really a big deal because this has actually never happened to us, happened to, 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 to us as Catholics in a long, long, long and the church for the church number one is salvation salvation of the souls and and by the time you you have the services and after you're done with the services and every a larger percentage of the congregation is down with the virus i wonder you're going to be preaching for when when the virus is gone and your people are down so the church in earnest is cooperating with the government to curtail the pandemic and avoid the spread of it all the it seems to me that you know that language i was using earlier of embodied and incarnational um, and whether or not our church services should be physical, um, you know, in a physical place together. It seems that the Catholic Church is saying, well, you know, yes, of course, that's ideal to be incarnational, but because we are incarnational, we should be very much concerned about the health and well-being of our neighbors. <laughs> and so it's, it's kind of this 
being less incarnational to be more incarnational <laughs> approach, um, which is <laughs> kind of paradoxical, but I think makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think my struggle with, with a lot of this is that, you know, on the one hand, I, I, I agree with, with Ben, what Ben said that, uh, you know, a virtual church is like a buffered fellowship. It's not quite exactly what it ought to be. Um, and it creates these barriers to really participating in each other's lives. Um, it serves a purpose, but, but that purpose is limited. So, um, you know, like unlike many evangelicals, I find that taking communion in a church with fellow believers is, is, is one of my highlights, uh, one of the highlights for me of Christian fellowship. Um, but on the other hand, I have to admit that um, I sometimes feel more like I'm part of the church when I'm entering fellowship uh, with the church fathers by reading their work. So I, I feel like I'm part of this mystical body sometimes more by reading dead guys um, who I can't really talk with <laughs> than I am by being in a church building. Um, but, but, you know, on the other hand, though, kind of going back to that, that comment about taking communion, one of the things about communion that is so valuable for me is that it's not just something I'm doing with the people in the room with me, uh, the Lord's Supper or Eucharist. It's not just something that I, I'm doing that connects me with the people in the room with me, but um, it connects me to Christians from other times and places whom I'm, I'm not in physical contact with. I think Ben actually mentioned something about that earlier. So if part of what makes the church the church is our mystical union with people who aren't even in the same room with us, not even in the same continent or, or maybe not even alive anymore, uh, then perhaps the incarnational element as far as being physically together in one space might not be as important. Um, but then on the other hand, <laughs> uh, I, keep, I, only, I only have so many hands, but um, it seems to me that one of the things that we're going to lose is this accountability and this ability to be involved in each other's lives. Um, if all we have is like a virtual fellowship. So yeah maybe this is the best we can do right now to be less incarnational, to be more incarnational, to uh, limit maybe what would be ideal for us to do um, in order to show concern and care for others and thus be more incarnational and more concerned about the bodies and well-beings, well-being of our, our, our fellow Christians. I don't know. That's a lot of things I just said, but I don't, <laughs> I don't know if, if any of that clicks for you or if you have any uh, pushback against any of that is the fact that definitely we, 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 while well, we've come up with this spirit, right? this pandemic where it's now you being where you, where you live, being in your private room and connect with everybody or connect with the church at large, is it's looking like why this pandemic is far and gone, they're gonna be, we're gonna have um, some few issues trying to connect back, being involved in our first lives, again, like we ought to be as Christians. That is quite right, it's sure. But I think this period, this period presents us with, with a true fact, with a real, with a real essence and how we are to connect with God and connect with ourselves. Maybe it's an area where we've for long ignored, not enriching that spiritual or that spiritual connection now and being involved in our various lives and being being all proud of ourselves spiritually in that spiritual realm. And Definitely to, to, to get back when the pandemic is gone, we're going to have to have to do some reorientation for the people once, once again. And I think um, the, 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 the church is, is very, very capable of doing that and putting people back at rest. But personally, from my own position, I think 
I think this period has actually brought to fore many things that we've ignored. And I think it emphasizes the importance of having um, a personal relationship with God and understanding the true basics and essence of Christianity from Acts of Apostles, which is more like the, the, the best or biggest evidence we have of the first Christian church. And a lot of people right now, a lot of Christians are struggling right now. Even having, even with the visual communion, the visual fellowshipping, a lot of Christians are, 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 are struggling. You know, and that puts a huge question mark on whether all these years, all this while, when we've been going to church week in, week out, if we truly have been founded on Jesus Christ, the foundation of Christianity. Yeah, you, you, I don't you know mentioned. I... Oh, no, that, that, that's good. That's good. You know, as you talk about the Acts of the Apostles, I was recently reading through that again and thinking about how that church functioned. I mean, people are always comparing the church of today to the church of the apostles, but in light of everything we're doing right now, um, how much they talked about laying hands on each other, being uh, close to each other, sharing, um, um, you know, breaking bread together. And even like uh, sometimes the way that it spoke about the Holy Spirit being transferred to people that, you know, through, through laying on of hands. Um, and I think what's kind of occurring to me is that there might be a normal or normative way that God will do something, uh, but that doesn't mean it's the only way he can do something. Um, but I think the concern that, that I would have, and that I think that sort of Ben seemed to have when he was talking about the mental health of people uh, who are struggling right now, is that there are certain ways that we normally function and that um, if we're not really meeting our needs in the way that we normally function, there, there may be something lacking. So um, it's kind of like saying, you know, well, you know, can, can I go around and, and live my life with an iron deficiency? Well, yeah, you, you know, pretty, pretty well, I mean, depending on how bad the deficiency is. Um, but, you know, maybe you don't stand up too quickly. Um, but you can still live and survive while you're somewhat malnourished, just you, you don't thrive. But that does bring up for me, and, and this may be, uh, I'd be interested in hearing what everyone has, say, everyone has to say about it, but I think maybe especially for Ben, um, what about those who maybe don't thrive under those kind of circumstances? So I have a friend, um, whom I invited to be on this podcast, um, uh, but she's, um, autistic. Uh, she's quite theologically oriented. She attended Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, University of Notre Dame. Um, so, you know, these, you know, pretty prestigious Christian schools. Um, and, but she, but she described herself as socially impaired, uh, and does, um, a lot better online. So she, in, when I asked if she wanted to, to be here, she was like, oh my gosh, no, no way. You can't do it. <laughs> um, and so, you know, just if, if it's a struggle, I think for her to be in a video chat, obviously that's going to have an impact on how well she does in person with you know, people. And so for someone like her, um, does the church have to function in the way that we tend to think it does for the, you know, what I think the term is neurotypicals, right? Um, and, and she argued, uh, or she appealed to this, you know, Paul writing letters to people miles away that they would receive much later and saying in them that he was present with them in spirit. And she said, well, if that's true, then why can't that be true for Christians, you know, like in a chat room communicating instantaneously <laughs> through instant message. And so 
I guess maybe it's maybe it's a two part question. And maybe the second part of the question is one we could uh, kind of all give our thoughts on and maybe in conclusion. But the first part is, does church have to be the same for everyone? Um, and then second of all, what is church? And I don't just necessarily just mean what is the church, like the, the people, um, but what is our fellowship? What, what does that mean? What is that supposed to look like? What is it uh, in its essence? Um, so if, if Ben wants to start with that one first, since it relates to kind of a counseling related issue, that'd be fine. But anybody who would like to address it, I'd love to hear. Which question would you like me to address first? Um, maybe that question about um, church for those who maybe don't fit into the normal, <laughs> uh, those who maybe aren't totally neurotypical, who may struggle with the way that we have kind of been doing church. Well, I think Paul also said something about being all things to all people, right? So I, I think that, uh, you know, people are different and need different approaches and different things because we're all individuals. So, um, well, one of the things I tell my, I tell my kids all the time is if you want to have close relationships in life, put up with everything that you can from those you love and understand they're doing the same thing for you. And so I think, you know, if you're one of those Christians who needs some, um, special accommodations for, you know, whatever, um, that we as the body should be open to doing everything we can to accommodate that. But I think those Christians also need to push themselves maybe a little bit out of their comfort zone. And if it means, you know, going to church and sitting in the back pew alone because you don't do well socially, um, at least you're there. Um, but I think it does matter that we have a physical presence with each other because um, God made us physical beings. Uh, you know, in, in fact, be, being a physical being is so important that God became one right? Uh, Jesus took on physical form so that he could bodily be with us. So I think there is something to be said for that, and I don't think we can entirely ignore it because we have, you know, social anxiety. Maybe that just means you need to meet in a smaller group. You know, maybe you need to go to a small Bible study or something, some kind of accommodation, but you also, again, don't want to just entirely ignore the physical meeting together. And then what was your second question? I guess my second question is, um, because right now we're kind of talking about what it means to, to meet together, right? So I guess I might ask, what is the church um, in, its, in its essence? And not the church necessarily the people, but the church is in the, the communion, the coming together, the fellowship. Well, I think you can go back to scripture for that. What did the early church look like? And um, I think I was convinced in a class that I think you and I had together with Dr. Bill Yuri that uh, kind of the highlight of worship service is... Uh, communion. And uh, Scott, I think you mentioned your church does communion every week. We do too um, at Middletown Church of the Nazarene because we, I, we agree. That's the highlight of that's the highlight of worship. And that is where ultimately we come together, not only with those that we're present with physically, but those Christians across time and space. And so I think at its core, that's what it is. And then I think it can branch out from there and take some different forms. I don't, I don't think we have to be rigid. I don't think we have to say that it has to be physical presence twice a week, three times a week, whatever it is. I think there's some room for flexibility, but I think at its core, it's communion. Uh, and that joins us with Christ and other believers, not just other believers. So it's not uh, just physical, but there's a physical element. Right. I think primarily it probably is not physical. I mean, the mystical union of communion is, you know, with other believers across time, obviously isn't physical. And Christ is not bodily with us, except in other believers. 
but that's why the physical aspect is important of being with other believers as well. Um, so, so I don't think it must be physical, you know, maybe every week anyway. I think at some point it needs to be physical. Uh, but I, I, I just, I don't, I don't see things in black and white. I see things in gradations and kind of a, I think I see most things in a, on a sliding scale, you know, like there's the ideal and then there's the not ideal and there's things in between. I think the ideal is we get together physically, we take communion every week. And then not ideal is we do none of that. And then somewhere in between is what you do during a pandemic. <laughs> All right, Scott, tear that argument a new one. No, I'm just kidding. What do you got? Well, um, I don't disagree with Ben at all. Um, I think uh, one of the things we have to look at is that the church is was never meant to be like this one-size-fits-all kind of thing. That's why we have all these different epistles, all these different things. And so we are to be all things to all people. And I think in our time, in our day, during this pandemic, God is doing something new. Um, and I don't there is no substitute. Um, let me just be clear on that for the physical presence uh, of being together. And that's why you're going to find a lot of believers feel, uh, you know, almost a spiritual depression during this time. Because I mean, I feel that way. I miss my brothers and sisters. I miss getting together. I miss seeing all the, the, the people that I see every week. I miss that just like you guys do. Um, and so there's something to be said about a physical presence, but I think one thing that, that we could be looking at is God is maybe stripping away certain things right now um, to bring us back to the core. What is church? Um, and, and as Ben said, it's, and as a view, we've all alluded to, it's this gathering around the incarnate son of God, the risen savior, and taking part in that community, not only with people here and now, but with that great cloud of witnesses that Hebrews talks about, that we are part of that, that body. And um, how we respond during this pandemic is kind of stripping back all the things that we thought were important um, and all the different church innovations and trends. You know, I can't tell you how many emails I get a day uh, from this church group or that church group or this church growth guru or whatever. You know, I go into, um, well, you can't really anymore go into Christian bookstores and find books on church growth because now it's all online. Uh, at least around our area, there are very few Christian bookstores. But um, it's all about how to grow churches. And I think right now we're seeing that really what grows churches is a devotion to Christ and a devotion to one another. Um, and that's what happens when the church really meets. There's a devotion, and that can be done virtually. That can be done physically. I, I will go ahead and say that I don't think there's a substitute for a physical thing when applicable, but we're in a time right now that we're in uncharted territory. We're in a different place than we've ever been. You know, since the Spanish flu, we haven't had to deal with these questions, and they certainly didn't have podcasts or mass communication to deal with that back then. They, the news traveled a lot slower. They were just trying to get by. But, but we're certainly in this very different virtual world now with our churches, and we're all trying to struggle through this. And I think that one of the beautiful things that's going to come out of this is we're going to be a lot closer, and we're going to appreciate each church. We're not going to be so tied into this, you know, you have to do it my way or this way or that way to do it because we're going to see the beauty that is Christ and that he really is enough and that he is sufficient and that he is the one reason we gather 
And I think that that can have a multifaceted expression in different things. You know, each of us go to different churches, but we all have a shared love for one another uh, because of Jesus. And that's the ultimate goal. And so I think what is church, especially in this virtual pandemic age is is that devotion to Christ and devotion to one another and that we truly will love one another. And I think you're going to find when we come out of this on the other side, there'll be like, we have to be honest about this fact that we're going to lose some people. We're going to have victims in our churches of this pandemic. We're going to have, you know, God forbid that happen. But, you know, just looking at statistics, one can can easily do some math and come to that. We're going to have those, even those of us who are trying our best to protect our flocks are going to have casualties or know someone who does. And when we come back out of this, we're, I think you're going to find a lot less complaining about how boring church was or about how cool this church was or that church was. And you're going to find a lot of, I'm just glad to be back with these people. And I think that's what this is going to all turn out to be, is, is really showing us that devotion that Christ is the center of all things and that that's where we find our commonality. I, I want to turn to Emmanuel, but first, I think that Benjamin had a something to say about Spanish? Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm going to let you, I think, finish this up, Emmanuel. But uh, Ben had something I think he was going to say real quickly. Yeah, I just wanted to quickly note that my pastor, Adam Prophet, had been doing some reading about churches and whether they met during the Spanish flu. And at that time, I don't believe the government put out any kind of a stay-at-home order, but there were still churches that had stopped meeting physically for, so, to prevent the spread of the flu. And there were some pastors that were very critical of others who had not stopped in-person services. So this isn't, and you know, Scott, you mentioned it's uncharted territory. It is in our lifetime. None of us remember that, but apparently they were experiencing, you know, some of the same things that we are, uh, whether to meet or not to meet and having a similar discussion back then. Yeah. And, and, and I'll add something, you know, if you go back to the middle ages where diseases are spreading and it's not really known how or why, um, you certainly had Christians still meeting and you had people going out and kind of in, in the middle of the disease and trying to help. And sometimes I've thought, you know, that maybe that's the benefit of, 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 of living like in a monastery, right? Is that you, you don't have to worry about taking anything back to your, your wife or your kids. Um, and you can just do whatever you feel like you need to do in that moment. But I think overall though, it would have made sense in the Middle Ages to say, you know, we obviously we don't know how this thing is spreading, but we're going to come together. We're going to petition God, and that seems to be the best way we know how to deal with it. Um, and of course, there's nothing bad about petitioning God or, or praying together, anything like that. That's I think we should be doing that. But I think as we've learned a little bit more about how this works, we should maybe adjust our methods a little bit and maybe not do it in the same way, not deal with it the same way it was dealt with in the Middle Ages before our germ theory was understood. And um, Emmanuel, if you wouldn't mind closing us out, I was um, wanted to get your thoughts uh, on uh, what it means, what you understand uh, the church fellowship to be. What does it mean uh, to be the church, not just as people in some mystical way, but what does it mean to come together? Is that for me? Yeah, that's for you. Okay. Um, I think... Um, the fellowship in the fellowship in is number one is based on for me I think it's based on personal relationship with God a personal relationship with Jesus one that is sustained 
by Jesus and his, and his word. Because on the long run, you know, in, in John chapter 4, we, we see him in the dialogue with a woman at the, at the well, the Samaritan woman. And the, the Samaritan lady was going on about, about the temple, about the worship in the temple, and how everything is centered on the temple. And Jesus is saying, the time is coming when nobody wants to worship God. We don't use the temple anymore. You have to do it in, 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 in spirit and in truth. And we have the face in us right now. Fellowship with God, for me, beyond, beyond the mighty cathedrals, beyond the mighty church buildings, the edifices, is one that is centered on God and strengthened by the Holy Spirit. Where daily, daily in your heart and your soul, you can reach out to God, you can feel God's presence and, and, and connect and feel fulfilled. You know, because even if you go, even if you, we have a lot of people who go, who go to churches week in, week out, and they come out and tell you, I left that church because I wasn't feeling God. I, was, I, wasn't, I didn't feel connected to God. So, so on the long run, within the church or outside the walls of the church, the thing is fellowshipping is one that is strengthened on Jesus, regular reading of the word, putting definitely, putting into practice, and fellowshipping and having the Holy Spirit as a companion to it. And, 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 and that is what we need right now. And that is facing to us, facing us on the front right now that, Obviously, sorry to say, but a lot of our flock, a lot of the Christian fold, the fate of a lot of Christians right now are centered on, on Jesus, and we're facing that big time now. And so I always say that fellowship with God is one that is founded and built on Jesus, sustained by the Holy Spirit, and the regular reading of the Word. And you, you, I think... When you were talking earlier, you talked about a lady who said, who said if, if the Holy Spirit was connecting with St. Paul, where it was just in the place and it was writing and sending out letters to people different, why can't he right now reach out to everybody in your rooms and begin to? Well, I think that is possible. That's possible. I don't think there's anything the Holy Spirit can do. That's very possible right now. And it, it, it just matters. On, so for me, fellowship is one that's founded on Jesus, his word, and sustained by the Holy Spirit. That's a great closing. Well, I thank you all for, for taking the time to do this. Uh, I, don't know, it's, I don't know if I've ever gotten quite this many people together. Uh, getting schedules together can be tricky. Um, but um, I know a lot of us are probably sitting at home, so maybe we have a little more time than usual. Um, but I thank you all, and um, I wish you all blessings and that you would stay healthy and uh, make sure you take care of people around you who you care about family uh, whatever the case may be and uh thank you all for being here god bless you brother god bless you and when i say here i mean mystically here 